Welcome to Summer Bays, the unofficial home and away podcast brought to you by Clara Kavna, where I take a weekly look at the trials and those many tribulations of Australia's most beloved surfer town, Summer Bay. Each week I'll do a deep dive into the week's events and discuss dilemmas our characters are very good at finding themselves in, like, is murdering a murderer really a crime? Oh, Colby, you're in trouble. Or, by not wanting to be a burden, you're going about and making yourself one big burden. And I'm looking at you, Miss Marilyn Chambers. Get ready to feel closer each day to home and away. Before I get started, I just want to share my top tip for your home and away viewing experience. And that is no spoilers. Just don't look ahead. Don't look at those little coming up tomorrow promos they stick on at the end of the episode. It's so tempting, but my oh my, is it worth it? It's a game changer. Just try for a week and see. Oh God, what a week it was. There was a lot of light and shade and happy to sad and heartbreak to kind of falling in love. In houses, out of houses, back into houses. But kicking it off with... I'm going to say the biggest scandal of 2020. And no, it's not Jasmine. (laughs) So the week for Colby and Bella starts off, you know, protective older brother. I think Colby does a very good job of scaring Nick off at the beginning of the week until he's completely, (laughs) his ankles just like taken from under him with Dean chiming in when Colby just gets sits too much on top of Nick and Bella and telling them not to hang out and he doesn't approve and Dean's like well don't act like your dad and don't make her choose because she is not going to choose you and just encouraging him to tread carefully great advice from Dean Colby's kind of lurking older brother technique it really starts to work and once Nick starts to shy away from Bella Bella I love how she's like hold up no no this isn't happening And when they sit down and we get the little nitpicking into Bella going, who are you to judge? You've done silly stuff in your past. Don't make me choose. And because I'm going to be with him with or without your approval. So, you know, poking in at Colby's, Colby's regrets, Colby's mistakes. We see something. I just, they've been planting this story for a while and out it's starting to come. It's just... It's just great how they're doing it because I thought it was done quite subtly. And even though Bella was never put in a position where she had to choose between Colby, her brother, or Nick, her boyfriend of a wet week, she still goes, I love how she's like, I choose you. You make my world amazing. (laughs) Like, it's just classic teenager, even though she is 18. But you look. And I loved the tension in the room with when Colby and Nick eventually have it out. Colby really shows his teeth and he's like, no, 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 this is my baby sister. I like searched for her for like seven years. So when he mentions, I know you took Tori's car, you could have ruined lives. Like the less you tell me, the better. And it kind of seems like that case has just dropped now. And Nick has pretty much gotten away with it. His advice to Nick was good, i.e. your bad decisions may follow you. And that's what Colby is about to find out because the body is found. Yes, Ross's body found by some hikers in the bush. And Colby just enters into this weird state of calm. Like in the lead up to this, he was very vulnerable. He was very open with Bella. 
and he admits that in the car accident with Dean and Amber's brother Jai, he didn't check if they were okay. He just ran trying to find Ross who was taking Bella and his mum away. So we see that side to him, a side that Bella hasn't seen. And then Bella goes on to chat to Amber saying, what would you have done in that situation? He chose his family over his friends. It was the wrong thing, but it was the right decision. And that was really well put by Bella to Amber because she spoke in her language. They're both the sisters of the two river boys. And fair play to her. I really think that that question forced Amber to think of it in a totally different light. And it doesn't make Amber's grief any easier. But if the shoe was on the other foot and it was Amber in the car and Jai running after her... Jai might not have checked on his pals in the car wreck. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I really agree with Bella. It was the wrong thing for the right reason. And then that brings about this kind of river boy reunions. We've got Dean, we've got Colby, we've got Willow, and now Amber, Bella, with the addition of Ziggy. It just seemed like it was going to be a great little night reminiscing on old times. But no, the body gets found. And then Bella and Colby get hauled in to the police station. So, as I was saying, Colby enters this very transfixed state of calm. He doesn't panic. Dean is freaking out. So, the backstory is, I'll give it very fast. Ross is Bella's dad. He kidnaps Bella and Colby's mum years ago when Bella was just a kid takes them away Colby never sees them and enters into this like seven year search for his sister Colby stops being a river boy trains to be a policeman in this pursuit to find his long lost sister Bella seven years later he finds her and she is very feral and (laughs) takes her back to the bay Ross cops on to where she is comes and kidnaps Colby's then wife Chelsea He kidnaps Willow, Bella and Chelsea in the limo on the way to the Colby and Chelsea's honeymoon. Kidnaps them, takes them to the bush. Colby and Dean find them. Then Ross has a gun and he makes Colby choose between his wife or his sister. There's a kerfuffle. A bullet goes loose. Shoots Willow in the chest. So really look like Willow died. And then Ross goes running. High speed car chase follows. Then Dean and Colby eventually catch up to him. They get him on his on his back. Dean's like, don't shoot, don't shoot, don't shoot. Ross keeps making these jibes about Bella. And poof, Ross dead. They bury the body, come back to the bay, pretend like they just lost him. So Colby, again, seems perfectly fine. Just carries about life as normal, surfing his little heart out. But Dean absorbs the stress from it, gets PTSD from watching this happen, gets hooked on sleeping pills and then starts doing stuff in his sleep that he doesn't realise. So he goes to the burial site. He writes letters admitting that he was the one who was there and he knows what happened. Now, luckily, this is all corralled by Colby and nobody ever finds out about it. But you can understand now why Dean is freaking out that he might have left evidence at the site. You know, he was out of his mind at the time. He had to, like, really come off them, kind of do a bit of a rehab on himself. So I just... Colby is just, you know, everything's great. Don't worry. Don't panic. I'm on the inside. Act normal, everyone. This is going to be great. So, but Dean does have other things to worry about. He does have Ziggy to worry about. 
who is living with them. So they're having all these like midnight powwows or private family chats. But Ziggy is like either in the next room or feeling like an outsider. So I kind of feel sorry for her in that respect, but she cannot know. Oh my God, that would be the worst. So telling Ziggy would be just as bad as Bella's idea to run. So I'm glad both of those fires are being kept kind of put out at the moment. But nobody's thinking clearly. But Colby is very reassuring, saying, I'll do anything to protect this family. It's going to blow over. It's only day one. But oh God, I see the next few weeks of this being touch and go. Especially because David Beckham lookalike, Mr. Angelo Rosita has returned. He looks so gorgeous. Oh, mother, may I? So he's going to be the detective on the case. He's looking for Colby. Oh, not so safe now, are we, Colby? Oh, wow. So it'll be interesting because Colby's a river boy and who kind of ran Angelo out of town slash bribed him out of his own restaurant is Mr. Daryl Braxton, a.k.a. Brax. So back when... Angela Rosetta was on the scene. He was an upstanding police officer. He owned Angelo's restaurant, which is now Salt. And he kind of undercover, he was following Heath Braxton and discovered they were growing like a weed plantation out in the middle of a national park. He kind of cops onto it. Heath knocks him out. And then Angelo started getting like, oh, I don't want to get involved in this gang. So he retreats. He lets Brax get over involved in the restaurant and then just lets him buy it out of him completely. So then he leaves the bay. He's going out with Nicole. I remember her baby. Was it George? And I think they got married. Um, So I'm dying to know, will Nicole come back? I think I saw a wedding ring. But will it be of Nicole? Will it be of a new person? Don't know. Um, Whoa. Very, very excited. Before we move on to Jasmine, just a quick honourable mention for Ziggy. I think she got joke of the week. So her divorce cert comes in and she's like, oh, we need to have this dinner to celebrate. Colby's like, oh, take it easy, right? Okay, let's not go wild. And she, and then Ziggy goes, oh, don't worry. I won't get drunk and kiss Jasmine. Oh, <laughs> very good. Love that. So Jasmine has her first therapy session since all this Grace debacle and whoa, I really loved it. I thought I was in the therapy session with her and it kind of starts off her being like, Grace is my only connection to Robbo. Grace, Grace, Grace is the only reason I'm doing it. Grace, Grace, Grace. But she's actually very much forced to talk about Robbo and by talking it out, she's very much forced to realise how unacceptable and inappropriate her behaviour has been and that it's not right. But I think through the therapy lens, she's able to understand why she was acting that way. So she had abandonment issues, which meant her relationship with Robbo started on a shaky foundation. And then Robbo goes and dies, which is another abandonment. So she has every right to be angry at him, why it happened. Ooh, It hits so many nerves. Very successful first therapy session, I must say. And it's a bit early to suggest that she should go see his grave. I really feel like Jasmine is not in that place. While I do think it is the right decision, I think it will help her forgive him. Oh, and then it all happened 
on her wedding anniversary. So she hasn't mentioned it. So I kind of was worried that like she had forgotten about it and that would send her even into more of a spin. I think it's weird that she didn't mention it first. I was just worried about another meltdown to be honest. And just one small thing to mention before I move on to Marilyn and John. Um, is writers. So himself and Rue returned from the funeral. Feels good that he went. No regrets. Very good, very good. And he finds out about Bella's dad and he's like on the case to try find her and make sure that she's okay. We just rewind to last week where Bella finds out that Ryder's dad has passed away and she sends him like a group hey, hope you're okay, hon voice memo with her boyfriend to Ryder. Boo, just really didn't appreciate that. And the dead dad club thing was quite sad, wasn't it? With himself and Nick and now Bella. Um, I suppose a bit of black humour. <laughs> Okay, on to Marilyn and John now. I'm going to try get through this as quickly as I can because it's a story that has infuriated me all week. Why it had to take all week to sort itself out, I don't know. But Marilyn, she doesn't want to share her problems. She's feeling lost after a six-year marriage is over. She doesn't know where she belongs. She wants to pull her weight. And she doesn't. she's not telling anyone what's going on. She's trying to hide from everyone. Does she not realise how obvious she's being? Recent prime example. The Paradas come to town. They've nowhere to go, nowhere to stay. She finds them living in their car. She makes them move in for the sake of her marriage. Her marriage is literally broken up and that's somewhat part of the reason. And she wants to help them. She cannot stop sharing her life and her, like, you know, her hospitality, everything. And when that tries to get returned to her... She's like, no way, I don't belong. I'm an intruder, I'm an intruder. They actually must have been going through the thesaurus with this storyline because they were running out of words. Intruding, not my home, I don't belong. I'm still not accepted. This is your family. I'm messing everything up. Like, no, no, no. And in not wanting to make it fuss and be a burden, you have now become an even bigger burden. And this this happens once with the motel and now twice when she actually does move in and you have Alf bending over backwards, Rue and Leah being like, let's throw her a party. And then it builds up. It's just all this resistance driving me nuts. They're all saying, let us help you. You help others. This is what we do in the Bay. Why can't you get it? And she's lying to everyone, like trying to bury herself in work. How can you think you can avoid your roommates who are actively looking for you when there's only five of them living in the house? I'm actually, oh. So it builds up anyway into this peer scene with Alf and where he very generously, and I really mean generously, so you're like a daughter to me, but she's acting like, in a way, like a bold child. She's, and she kind of still calls him Mr. Stewart, which I think is weird of a daughter to do. But anyway, I suppose she's just used to it. But it's kind of like now she's gotten her daughter acceptance, she'll come in, but it's all hidden under this guise of I'm really polite and can't stop smiling. Oh no, I'm not into it. I'm really not. Yeah, it just... It took just took too long to figure out. And you know when sometimes main characters like move homes, like I think Leah moved into the Stewart's house because her own house went on fire. Like there's always some massive thing to make them move. But my word, what, did this go on and on and on? And this whole like, I'm fine. I don't want to be a burden. I don't know why I'm so upset. Routine just was really 
not my cup of tea this week at all. And John seems to be completely fine, you know, giving out now and wanting to see spreadsheets and invoices and stuff. So he seems like he's getting back to normal, which the kind of gap of progress is so different between John and Marilyn. Not that it's a competition or anything like that, but I suppose he has more physical ailments to worry about and maybe his reaction to the breakup will come later. We don't know. But their awkward bump in in the surf club where he kind of says, well, is there anything that could have been done to save us? And she says, no, our future was kind of set in stone ever since those six men stormed the hospital, i.e. the siege. I just love how they call it the siege. But it's true. Like, it, it just, it really is. And what I don't like about that lineup is after the siege, all there was was just problems with John and Marilyn. There wasn't a Marilyn reaction, like a lonely solo Marilyn reaction to the siege. It was her taking on the Paradas and John getting mad and then a rift formed between the two of them. And then he has a stroke just when things start getting better and then the rift comes back again. So I think maybe she sees what's important and she doesn't want some ratty, grumpy old man to argue with anymore. But... Obviously, Marilyn was rattled after the siege, but there was never a kind of like, I'm reassessing my life. It was very much a, this is the catalyst to break me and my husband up because I'm not dealing with this crap any longer. Another story, should I say love story, that went from one end of the spectrum all the way over to the other is McInary. So we start out the week with Ari copping on that Mac fancies his brother. Mac can't answer. And oh my God, hasn't she got so skinny? She's very teeny. Or I think they've changed the camera angles to actually realise how short she is and how massive Ari is. I don't know. Maybe they're always just in the pool together or the water together. You never know. Or like she's behind the bar and then he's sitting at the bar. You actually never get much of them standing side by side (laughs) she is teeny so when she eventually kind of wins him back it's kind of funny how she just forgets about her lust or infatuation with Tane and she's willing to fight for him and I think she's very honest when she's talking to him being like she admits the attraction but she'd never betray him like defends the job giving Tane the job that's salt and is somehow magically able to turn their relationship that was very casual into a proper connection. But then, so handled like a champ, very good, you know, turned it complete 180 into this date where I felt so sorry for Ari because, oh, I want something low-key, but very over the top. Like, obviously she was joking with a few, like, fireworks and hot air balloons and what have you, but... How would you spend the day? Like, she really put him on the spot. And it was just done so cheesy. It was like, I really want to get to know you. But it was kind of very, like, American or... It was just very lovey-dovey all of a sudden. And kind of, what do you do in your spare time? Then has all this cheesy flirting, thinking she's, like, having the bants with Alf on the shore before they head off fishing. And it's like, Just, I don't know. If I was... Ari I'd be getting the ick it was just a bit too oh we're in a rom-com now vibe from Mac I thought and like pretending she doesn't know how to fish 
And she's like, oh, I'm pressing you. But they do exchange some lovely family stories about her dad. But then, like, the surprise and salt with the fish, it was just all a bit Hollywoody or something. And then they're like talking about, oh, you brought your A game today. What are you talking about? Brought your A game? You he took you fishing. And he's like, you brought your A game when you wore that dress. Oh please. And amidst all this cheese and lovey dovey gushy stuff, I really feel sorry for Tane. Oh, first of all, he's trying to bury his love for Mac or with Amber. Then it's not too long before Nick finds out. Tana gets all tetchy and and then we think Tana might bail because of his heartbreak. But he does say to Nick, I'd leave if it wasn't for you. So there's that. But there's nothing worse than watching your crush be happy with somebody else, especially your brother. So I do really feel sorry for him. Oh, it's just not fair, is it? The poor little petal. Poor handsome little devil. Even though he gets to have his fun with Amber, his poor little heart is breaking. So I don't know, while it seems like Mac's interest in Tane has completely evaporated, Tane's is kind of, seems like it's not going anywhere. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes because Lord knows Summer Bay loves a good love triangle and Mac is just an expert at getting caught in the middle of them. So yeah, I'm just looking forward to seeing how they'll just sidestep that awkward issue. Alright, well that about wraps it up for me this week. If you like what you hear, I would love if you could subscribe, rate and or review if you have a second, but no pressure at all. If you want to get in touch, you can email summerbayspodcast at gmail.com and don't forget about the no spoilers. Try for one week and see how you get on. Just don't look at anything to do with upcoming home and away bits and bobs and you will be so happy and surprised. Like imagine if you were a long-term home away fan and you didn't know that Angelo was going to be rocking up into Summer Bay, you would have screamed at your TV just like I did. Anyway, good day, and I'll talk to you next week. <laughs>